Broadcasting from the Superbook Sports Studios, KTUS AM 1060, Tempe, Phoenix, and KSLX HD2, Scottsdale, Phoenix. It's time to hit the field with Extra Point, featuring Kayla Mortolaro and Bob Kemp on KDUS AM 1060. Tweet the show at KDUS AM 1060 or give us a call at 602-260-1060. The snap is back. The hold is down. You can't miss with this combination. And the Extra Point is good. Welcome in to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. It is Thursday. It is August 10th. Bob Kemp feeling a little under the weather today. So Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. We'll continue with the NFL preview theme. We'll have Ross Jackson, Saints News from SI.com at 10.15 as we continue the NFC South here in the Extra Point. And uh, we'll also have a conversation with Chris Bizignano from Giants Insider at 11.15, talking about the New York Giants their brutal schedule and how they fit into the NFC East. So we'll do Ross Jackson Saints topics at 1015 and Chris Bizignano New York Giants conversation at 1115. Uh, that's coming up here in the extra point. But as we typically do, let's set the scene with today's poll questions. And you know where we're going. We're going win totals here with those two squads. So the KDUS1060.com poll question here is New York Giants over seven and a half wins or under seven and a half wins and right now the masses sit on the over side of things at 56 percent of the vote under trailing at 44 percent we'll dive into that answer it around 11 30 today over on twitter at kdus am 1060 the 2023 saints win total over nine and a half wins or under nine and a half wins and right now overwhelmingly 100% of the vote under uh, nine and a half wins for the New Orleans Saints. So we'll dive into more of that with Ross Jackson at 10-15. Let's get into, though, the Arizona Diamondbacks from yesterday. Personally, it was a very neat night uh, as I was out at the game yesterday with some co-workers, had a really fun time. The outcome, though, not so great as the Arizona Diamondbacks lost to the Dodgers. Dodgers 2-0. The Diamondbacks, they had a real legitimate opportunity here in the bottom of the seventh with two on, no one out, forced Bobby Miller out of the game, but couldn't get anyone home. And, and that's, those are situations that seem to keep popping up here uh, for the Diamondbacks so that the bats uh, have some runners in position here and can't get anyone home. Uh, it's certainly a topic of conversation that Tori Lovello addressed after the game as well, uh, just kind of talking about how timely hitting is important, and that's certainly been an area that has fallen off here uh, after the All-Star break, and as Bob continues to point out, even leading into the All-Star break. It's not just the pitching 
For the Dodgers, though, in the eighth, Freddie Freeman, boy, he continues to just be really hot at the plate. And it ended up being, though, an old friend, David Peralta, driving in two runs for the Dodgers. And that was the difference. I had mentioned pitching. Merrill Kelly, he was having himself a game, six innings, six hits, no runs, two walks, two strikeouts. But he had to exit after throwing his second pitch in the seventh to Chris Taylor uh, after the game we found out that it was a cramp in his right hamstring Uh, very good news though that it's not related at least as of now and what Kelly was relaying to the press after the game uh, and consultation with the doctors that it's not related to the earlier blood clots that he was dealing with and he expects to make his next start But this is just absolutely a wild statistic here in regards to Merrill Kelly and his um, games against the Los Angeles Dodgers. He is 0-10 in his career when facing the Dodgers. He pitched really well, but like I said, the offense didn't help him uh, as the Diamondbacks just mushered four hits on the night, all coming off of Bobby Miller, who... For the Dodgers side of things here, Dave Roberts said after the game that this was his best start. Obviously, he's a rookie here for the Dodgers, and he's been put into various different positions here now with some of the injuries that the Dodgers have been facing. And he's been steadily progressing. He's getting wins, but uh, and he actually wasn't in line for the win last night. But his best outing of uh, so far his young career for the L.A. Dodgers there, according to Dave Roberts, he went six innings, four hits, no runs, four walks, and four strikeouts. Um, this is just also kind of putting things into perspective, and it's, it's not great. Um, I don't know to say that this is expected, but... It's certainly just very stark. Bob Nightingale of USA Today, on June 18th, the Dodgers were in third place in the NL West, four and a half games back of the Diamondbacks. As we sat there last night, August 9th, so here now in August 10th, the Dodgers lead the NL West by six games over the Giants and 11 games over the Diamondbacks. Bob had been talking about it For quite some time that he did not think that the Diamondbacks would hang on to win the National League West and that it would be a Dodgers National League victory here. But to the extent that this has taken place now, I think has been a little bit surprising and and shocking to me uh, because I had been. As I mentioned yesterday, I had been on the side here that, you know, I wasn't trying to get overly I was trying to be cautiously optimistic about the start that the Diamondbacks had had and that there still were some areas of concern. And if they weren't addressed, then this could could not end in in a way that we all wanted to. So it was just cautious optimism about being able to put it all together, how this team was really putting pressure on opposing defenses, taking advantage of stolen bases, taking advantage of some miscues from other teams and really taking advantage of the new rules. They were out of the gates, doing much better than a lot of other teams in that area here. So it was cautious optimism. Uh, But I think, as I pointed out in yesterday's show, I have reached a little bit of disappointment level because of the way in which they're losing these games now. They're not getting the timely hits. We know about the pitching issues, and I don't think that that's going to just suddenly snap your fingers and you're going to be able to fix those situations and issues. But just a little bit of disappointment because it's some of the mental errors. It's some of the... You know, I don't know if it's guys at the plate now feeling like they have to do too much uh, to try to overcome 
some of the pitching pitching woes, but certainly timely hits aren't happening. Uh, just hits in general kind of aren't happening here. Smart base running isn't happening. So a little bit of the things that are very controllable uh, that they have done so well with in the past is starting to creep up here. So a little bit of disappointment now uh, for me and this team. And when you look at what Vegas had thought about this Arizona Diamondbacks team, when you talk about preseason win totals, they were at 75 and a half wins. Right now, the Diamondbacks are at 57 and 58. They are below 500. There's 47 games remaining. Here are the remaining series for the Arizona Diamondbacks. They're off today, but then they'll start three at home versus the Padres, three on the road at the Rockies, four on the road at the Padres, two at home versus the Rangers, four at home versus the Reds, three on the road at the Dodgers, three at home versus the Orioles, three at home versus the Rockies, four on the road at the Cubs, four on the road at the Mets, three at home versus the Cubs, two at home versus the Giants, three on the road at the Yankees, three on the road at the White Sox, and they conclude the season three at home versus the Astros. So when you kind of pile up all of those series remaining here, as I mentioned, 47 games left, six series left, though, against NL wildcard teams or in the hunt teams. So... When you look at the National League here, the Braves at 72 and 40, clearly a very good squad. The Dodgers rounding into some great form, 67 and 46, and still kind of waiting for, you know, Clayton Kershaw, et cetera, to, to all kind of come back here. The Brewers, 62 and 54, and then the National League wildcard race as it is right now. The Phillies have a spot, 63 and 52. The Giants have a spot, 62 and 53. And the Marlins at 60 and 56. On the outside looking in, the Cubs are a half game back. The Reds are a half game back. The Diamondbacks are two and a half games back and the Padres are at four and a half games back. So if you want to try to look at this with the positives, the glass half full, the Diamondbacks are just two and a half games back. But now this is eight losses in a row. Uh, As I mentioned, there's a lot that I think is controllable that are some mental errors and mental mistakes. So if you can find a way to kind of flip that switch, clean up those things and reel off some wins, you're right back in the chase for that National League wild card last spot. There's still plenty to play for, but at two and a half games back, you have to stop the bleeding and you have to do it with a three-game set at home versus the Padres, especially when they're sitting there at four and a half games back, chomping at the bit to get there. You know, we can have certainly a conversation about whether or not they're going to do any damage in the playoffs, but I think for this team to, to make the playoffs after the start that they got on, that would be something that they would really like to accomplish. And so being it for the Diamondbacks to kind of finish this season off with 47 more games left to go, try to get over that win total, get to 76 wins, and also if they can squeak in there to a National League wildcard spot just after the start and everything that they have had and the progress and the momentum and see if they can kind of right the ship here for this rough couple of months. As I mentioned, we're going to continue our previews and it's going to be the Saints in the NFC South on the other side of the break. 
We will have a conversation with Ross Jackson, SaintsNewsSI.com, here on KDUS AM 1060, online at KDUS1060.com, and with the KDUS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. We'll get Ross's uh, interpretation of how Derek Carr is doing in a new uniform. Alvin Kamara, we know he's going to miss three games. Chris Olave, how is he progressing in year two? Dennis Allen, Cam Jordan, plenty of topics to get into here with the New Orleans Saints and whether or not they can get over nine and a half wins. It's all happening next right here on KDOS AM 1060. It is the Extra Point. Check out KDUS AM 1060 on 100.7 KSLX HD2. That's right, HD Radio on 100.7 channel number two. Welcome back to Extra Point right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Continuing our NFL previews in the NFC South this week, we pop on out to the KDOS hotline as we're joined by Ross Jackson to talk all things New Orleans Saints from SaintsNewsSI.com. Ross, appreciate the time on the program. How are you doing today? Hey, Caleb, no problem. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm doing great. Uh, we got the practice inside today here in New Orleans, so that was a very nice, uh, very nice and rejuvenating effort for me. <laughs> Love to hear it. Uh, maybe avoid some of that humidity that New Orleans is known for, right? Yeah, we're doing our best. We're doing our best for sure. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Well, let's talk about one of the big adjustments here for the New Orleans Saints, and that's welcoming a new quarterback, Derek Carr. How has he been assimilating? How's he looking in camp? And and also, what's that relationship there like with Jameis Winston, who's now backing him up? Yeah, um, you know, look, I, I think Derek Carr has looked really good since he's been here in New Orleans. There's a cleanliness to this offense that's a little bit different than what we've seen in the past couple of years. Uh, with the you know five or six different quarterbacks they've had since Drew Brees retired, and so I think that you can appreciate that you know their ability to get in and out of the huddle and all that, but also just sort of the the work is is different. You know, uh, Derek Carr's kind of guy to where if he and you know Michael Thomas or he and Chris Olave, one of the top wide receivers, miss on a route, they're sticking around after practice to work on that route over and over and over again, just one on one to make sure that they're getting sort of their uh, mechanisms correct and everything. And so I, I very much appreciate sort of that additional work that's in there. Um, Derek is also fantastic as a pre-snap quarterback. I've asked the defensive players several times, including his former teammate, now again teammate, safety Jonathan Abrams today, about what it is that Derek Hart does to make things complicated on the defense. And he mentioned diagnosing a defense pre-snap and changing plays to get the best look possible against defenses and seeing that quite often from Derek Hart. Not something that we've seen really since the days of Drew Brees here in New Orleans. The relationship between he and Jameis is uh, super strong. Jameis, you know, came back to New Orleans with the express intent of backing up Derek Carr and wanting to be here to be a part of what the New Orleans Saints, you know, had going. Took a pay cut to do it and sticking around in New Orleans. And so, uh, you know, he has kind of expressed his intent of doing everything he can to help QB1, as he likes to call Derek Carr. And I think that the, the two have shown that over and over again on the field as well. Ross Jackson, Saints News, right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Uh, Alvin Kamara, we know he's going to miss three games this season from a suspension. The rest of the running back room, Jamal Williams, and also the team drafted running back Kendra Miller. So how has this room been utilized so far in camp? And, and you know, what are the expectations without Kamara there for at least three games? 
Yeah, you're still seeing Alvin Kamara get a lot of a lot of work throughout practice and everything. They want to make sure that they're working with him and getting him ready. He can participate in the preseason. He can still participate in practices here before the season begins. So they want to make sure they get that time in with him before they have to wait to reactivate him until after week three. Uh, but, you know, look, Jamal Williams is down about 15 pounds. He started off hovering around 230. He's now playing around 217 or so, kind of has slimmed down his frame a bit to get him ready for a more versatile role. Something to be a little bit more similar to maybe, you know, his work with Aaron Jones and Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay as opposed to what he you know, was as kind of a short yardage back in Detroit. Kendra Miller has been being used a lot in the passing game. They're just trying to kind of get him kind of, set up for more of the nuances and subtleness that you need as a route runner out of the backfield. But once he's got that down, then, you know, the Saints are very happy with where that running back room is. They were a little bit happier with it with somebody that I know y'all are very familiar with, you know, Benjamin for the room, but unfortunately, uh, you know, had an injury that that ended his season before he has a chance to begin. So I expect the Saints to get some early looks at a couple of guys uh, in the preseason to see maybe who's the third running back on the roster when Alvin Clare is not counting against the roster spot for the first three games. You had mentioned Derek Carr working with the receivers, so let's touch on Chris Olave here. 72 catches, 1,042 yards last year in his rookie season. Uh, you know, a lot of times there are major expectations for guys like him to make a huge leap in year two, plus having a Derek Carr throwing him the football, a little bit more competent quarterback play here. So what can you say about Chris Olave and maybe even the expectations that he has set for himself this season? Um buckle in, um, go all in, buy, you know, any anything positive that I could say about Chris Olave and his stock, I will say, uh, because he's an entirely different player, it looks like, than he was last year, and maybe the best way possible. He's added some weight. He played last year around 187. He's going to be playing this year around 195, and he is really focused on his ability to play through contact, bring down some of those contested catches and things like that, and so he was in you know, about 20 or so, 24 of those situations last year only came down with about eight. I think Pro Football Focus has him with a 33% contested catch rate. But the reason why he was so effective no matter what last year is because these guys, these defenders don't get a lot of opportunity to contest because he creates, you know, two yards of separation with these routes that he runs. He's a precise route runner. He's, he's all those things. And of course, he's got speed to, to back it all up, too. So uh, I'm buying in completely on Chris Olave. We saw him put on a show today in practice. Uh, in the indoor facility, and I can't wait to see the connection we've already seen growing between he and his new quarterback and Derek Carr get out there on the regular season. He's got the benefit of scheme and, and, and you know, um, uh, route combination, the, the benefit of Michael Thomas taking away some attention and things like that. Um, you know, Chris Olave was the guy last year, and this year he gets to kind of be a part of a concert uh, of receivers and pass catchers, and I think that's going to bode really well for his game here in 2023. Well, let's talk about that. Michael Thomas, what's the status of him? It's obviously been a really frustrating last couple of years for him injury-wise. So uh, with him back, how does that change the offense when he's available and healthy? Yeah, I mean, it's a big deal for the for the offense. I just mentioned Chris Olave only coming down with 33% of his contested catches last year. Michael Thomas, in the three games that he appeared in, brought in 8 of 10. So he was an 80% guy. Uh, there. That's a big deal for them. The Saints were also very, very lackluster in the red zone and on third down situations last year. Michael Thomas helps you a ton in both of those situations. And I think one of the ways that it kind of changes the offense is in particular when it comes to the situational football, you now have options. Taysom Hill can be used in those third down 
red zone short yardage situations. Jamal Williams obviously has that in him. Alvin Kamara has that in him. Uh, Juwan Johnson, Foster Moreau, the two tight ends, they have that in them. And then, of course, now you've got Michael Thomas. And so I just think that the, the, the plethora of weapons that they will have that will be able to serve them in the areas where they struggled last year makes a big difference for them going into 2023. And Michael Thomas is a big part of that. Ross Jackson, Saint New- Saints News, SI.com right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. So we've been spending a lot of time talking about uh, the offense and healthy players, new players. But when it comes to the offensive coordinator, it's Pete Carmichael. Michael, how much pressure is he under now with Carr at the helm getting this offense to produce points? And you kind of touched on a little bit the lackluster ability in the red zone. So obviously punching it in for for six. Yeah, yeah, this is going to be a big year for Pete Carmichael. I mean, it's the second year as the full-time play caller without there being something else that sets it up a la, you know, Sean Payton's ACL tear back in 2011, the, the suspension in 2012, all that. This is really his second year going in as a full-time play caller. He's one of the longest tenured offensive coordinators in the NFL, but if you can't call the plays to get the points on the board, that tenure might not last much longer. And so I think that there's a lot of pressure for him to be able to do that. And I think there's a lot of pressure all over the same team, if I'm being honest, but I think that they welcome that. You know, this is a team that wants that pressure, that wants to be able to operate in that situation. And so this is an opportunity for them to kind of shift their they're thinking from what it has been in the recent past, which is kind of a prove them right mentality of how high people have been on this team to now be having kind of a prove them wrong mentality. And I think that that's a big piece. So I think that the, one of the things that's going to benefit Pete Carmichael quite a bit is that he's calling plays for a quarterback that is a similar style of the guy that he architected the New Orleans Saints offense with and Drew Brees. Not to say that Derek Carr is as good as Drew Brees or will ever be what Drew Brees was. Uh, but he's a lot closer to Drew Brees than guys like Andy Dalton and Jameis Woodson and Taysom Hill and Trevor Simeon and Ian Book, right? So I think that that's one of the things that kind of settles Pete Carmichael in a little bit more from the execution side of it is that the offense that you've built and that you've installed over the course of the offseason ideally is the offense you're actually running for 17 games with the same quarterback, but also you're calling for a more familiar style of passer in Derek Carr than you have been over the course of the past couple of years after the departure of Drew Brees. You alluded to this a bit here about pressure, maybe pressure being all over this team. How about Dennis Allen? Uh, you know, it is his second stint as a head coach. Obviously, they had tons of uh, unhealthy players last year. Also, kind of interesting here that the defense got off to such a slow start and then toward the middle to back half of the year, we started to see the defense that we would come to expect. But from him making that leap as being and entrenching himself with the Saints as a solid coordinator to proving that, you know, he's the right guy to be at the helm for the saints for for years to come yeah and i think you know there's there's some of the kind of slow start on the defensive side which is really kind of just a trademark of the new orleans saints for being honest like that's something that they've, we've seen kind of year in and year out uh but the other piece to it too is is just kind of the conservatism i mean choosing to kick field goals on a fourth and one on your you know on the opponent's 30 when you've got you know when you're within you know, single digits or, or something like that, you know, like those opportunities where you could keep your offense on the field or maybe even extend the lead and things. Uh, those are some situations too, that I think you look at and you go, okay, well, there's a place where you can improve. And so I think that with having the confidence in the quarterback that they have in Derek Carr, Derek Carr will probably put up a fight to come off the field, which I think would be, which I think would serve them well. And I think would help in those situations too. So again, I think the familiarity and kind of where they are this year kind of alleviates the nervousness, but the pressure is still very much there. Uh, Look, Derek, Dennis Allen's not going to be a guy that's going to get fired during the season if this team is struggling. They'll see it through with him here through 2023 and give him the opportunity to continue to prove that he deserves to be the head coach, which is an opportunity that he absolutely deserves. 
Um, and so I think that he is under some pressure, just like the rest of the team is. But I think it's the, the same type of pressure that you see from any coach in any situation across the NFL, outside of maybe Bill Belichick uh, at all. And so I think that that's kind of where Dennis Allen is. But it's clear that everybody is comfortable. This is a, a, a very different Dennis Allen this year than we saw last year. Uh, and, and I think the team is all the better for it. Ross Jackson, Saints News, SI.com right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. Let's flip this here to the defensive side of the ball. Cam Jordan, he signed his contract extension, keeping him with the Saints in all likelihood, uh, allowing him to retire as a New Orleans Saints. He's the name pick that everyone knows. How about the rest of that line and pass rushing crew for the Saints? Yeah, if we're sticking on the edge, I think a couple of guys' names to know are going to be Carl Granderson and Peyton Turner. Uh, those are the two guys that I think are – you know, the ones that have, you know, the, the best outlook so far throughout camp. They've both been outstanding. We watched both of them make plays again today. Peyton Turner's a former first-round pick back from the 2021 draft. And so you really want to see him get to the points where he's, you know, turning the corner, if you will. And so uh, I think you're getting closer to seeing that here over the course of this offseason. Certainly the most um, kind of positive outlook that he's had in, in, in at least the past couple of years where he's been dealing with injury and all these other things. Uh, Carl Granderson continues to develop. He's turned into a stout run stopper in addition to his work as a, as a pass rusher. He showed up here very much underweight for a NFL pass rusher, 250, 230 pounds. He's bulked up to 282 and has maintained his athleticism, which I think is a huge, uh, well, testament to his work, but also it's, it's big for what the New Orleans Saints want to do over there uh, on the edge. They, they went ahead and reinvested in the second round of this year's draft. with Dave Bossie, who's a big, lengthy, toolsy guy. That's you know coming along. I think he's still got a ways to go, but he's coming along, and there's no rush to get him anywhere, uh, especially with guys like Granderson and Turner ahead of him. Uh, and those are kind of the main ones. Tono Passanio is another guy that's a veteran that can contribute both outside and in, so you like his versatility as well. In the secondary, Cardinals fans familiar with Tyron Matthew at safety, of course, Marshawn Lattimore at corner. Uh, so can this secondary get better, uh, and especially at the start of the season? Yeah, I think so. I mean, this is a secondary that the intended starting five last year didn't take a single snap together in 2023 or 2022 and still finished as a top two pass defense unit. But we saw the defensive, you know, uh, the, the rating when it came to the run stopping drop down to uh, 24. And I think the safeties have a lot to, uh, you know, can contribute to improving that. And I think getting both those guys, Tyron Matthew, as well as Marcus May out on the field together, I think will happen. You know, will, will absolutely help with that. Um, but, you know, you're looking at these guys in training camp right now and you're seeing, you know, Marcus May and Tyron Matthew a lot more comfortable at this point this year than they were learning the new system last year, which makes sense. Marshawn Lattimore looks absolutely outstanding. He's probably the MVP of camp so far. That's your starting top corner. And then you've got a battle going on for the cornerback spot opposite them that I think Paul Snedebo is pretty well in the lead on. But it's good to have that level of competition and that amount of competition all over uh, that defensive secondary which has the ability to really improve here in 2023 even though they didn't necessarily struggle in 2022 with the nfc south being so up in the air is this saints uh team is it their division to lose this season i mean i think probably from a standpoint uh roster on down they have the most talent and the most depth so it's just about putting it all together is it their division to lose this season yeah i think it's i think it's understandable to look at it that way for sure um, when you consider the quarterback situation you know tampa who knows what's going on with that quarterback situation over there baker mayfield versus kyle trask it's kind of like picking between two different flavors of ramen noodles like where are you really going here and then you have you know some younger guys in desmond ritter as well as uh, uh bryce young who was just drafted with the first overall pick this year in carolina 
so, you know, they you've got to kind of wait and see if those guys are going to be able to turn the corner a little bit earlier in their careers than maybe you would have expected them to be asked to do so. And so I think it makes sense to consider New Orleans a favorite, but I certainly wouldn't count out teams like Atlanta and Carolina who do have a ton of talent. And if they just get one thing right, which is that quarterback spot, then things go really, real, really, really well for them really, really quickly. So while I think the, the preseason look um, is probably in favor of the New Orleans Saints, I, I don't think that you, that you rest your laurels on it until you, the season's over and done with. Well, Ross, before we let you go, going to have to put you on the spot here. Over under nine and a half wins for this Saints team this season. Yeah, I think everything that we've seen from them in terms of what they've done in practice, the way that they've, the way that they've bonded together, and of course the offseason moves that they've made, this team should be a 10-win team. If they're not a 10-win team, then it's it's probably going to be something similar to what we saw last year, which was a lot of self-inflicted wounds. So they have to be able to get out of their own way in that case. So I would take the over for them right now. But uh, if, if they don't get that, then it, it, it's on them. It's not a situation where they're going to be beaten by opponents. It's a situation where they beat themselves. Ross, this has been fantastic. Really appreciate you taking some time with us, and we look forward to catching up with you as the season rolls on. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the invite. Y'all take care, stay safe, and I look forward to talking to you again here soon. Absolutely. Appreciate it. Once again, he is Ross Jackson there, Saints News. Follow his work over at SI.com. Just briefly here, looking into this Saints schedule, week one versus the Titans, week two at the Panthers, week three at the Packers, week four versus the Bucks. So uh, you have two young quarterbacks there, potentially three young quarterbacks if you uh, think Baker Mayfield is not going to win win the starting job in Tampa. So certainly a pretty uh, nice schedule to get things started there for the New Orleans Saints. Week five at the Patriots, week six at the Texans, week seven versus the Jags, week eight at the Colts. So this next four-week stretch, if you think the Texans are going to be as bad as they're slated to be, you know, still trying to to learn and improve. And if you also think the same thing about the, the Indianapolis Colts here, things are looking good for New Orleans. Then you have week nine versus the bears week 10 at the vikings their bye week comes in week 11 week 12 at the falcons maybe at this point there's been a decision about desmond ritter or you know Bijan robinson is just tearing things up at this point week 13 if the lions are the lions everyone expects that could be a tough contest there but it's in uh, New Orleans. Week 14 versus the Panthers. Week 15 versus the Giants. Week 16 at the Rams. And then they conclude week 17 at the Bucks. Week 18 versus the Falcons. When you look at this schedule, though, nothing screams to you, I'm scared of these opponents. I think Ross hit the nail on the head here that everything comes down to whether or not you trust this team, whether or not they can put it all together. The question marks that are 100% there about Derek Carr, uh, this is a new place for him. Uh, What kind of Derek Carr are we going to get? Uh, I think there's obviously been so much conversation in regards to Derek Carr. Is he a top 10 quarterback? Is he not? There are very adamant people that he is and very adamant people he isn't so which quarterback play are you going to get is he going to be tossing some interceptions keeping the other team involved also can the run game and the defense put everything together do you trust Dennis Allen to have learned from last year with the Saints make some better decisions as Ross was pointing out some of the little uh, hey do we go for it do we kick the field goal what do we do here some of that game management stuff Uh, so it'll be interesting we'll answer the win-loss total around 1130 today 
Ready to bring KDUS AM 1060 into your home with Alexa? Hi, I'm Alexa. Download the KDUS AM 1060 skill and enable. Then say, Alexa, open the KDUS AM 1060. This is where I start my day. Ten forty-one, right here on KDOS AM ten sixty. It is Thursday. It is August tenth. Kayla Mortolaro with you up until noon today, as we typically do Mondays, Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays. Bob Kemp feeling a little under the weather today. Thanks to Ross Jackson, Saints News SI.com for joining us, talking all things New Orleans Saints. If you missed that interview, you can always podcast a little bit later on KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS1060 app. You know, we've spent obviously a lot of time talking about uh, the uh, demise of the Pac 12 conference, ASU, U of A, joining the Big 12 for the 2024 season. We also touched on it a bit yesterday with Chip Kelly, who was asked about what he thinks about conference, you know, realignment and U- USC and UCLA really starting this whole thing with their surprise uh, announcement in the summer, a couple of summers ago, about moving to the Big 10 for 2024. And and Chip Kelly's suggestion here was that essentially football should be independent. Power five should be division one. Uh, excuse me, Power 5 should be one division, you play for a championship. Group of five should be one division, you play for a championship. That football plays once a week, so travel isn't a huge deal, where in other sports, travel is a big deal. So I was kind of thinking a lot about all the different conference realignment here and specifically here, Chip Kelly's comments and just in general, the direction that things are going. And I I thought to myself that I'm in a bit of a unique situation because I did play college athletics. I played college golf. I, I have the experience of traveling around to compete in this sport. I have the experience of, quite frankly, it's a non-revenue generating sport that 100% relies on you know football in order to uh, make sure that your operating budgets are in the black. So it's this unique dynamic that we've now entered in that money is driving everything. Media rights deals are driving everything. The whole true nature of student athletes in the NCAA, we can certainly go down a rabbit hole here about whether or not uh, there has ever been a true nature of being a student athlete. When you look at here, my college experiences of playing golf, you know, for, for, for us, we only truly played against our conference competition in the conference championship. There may be tournaments where our conference uh, you know, opponents were there, but we played against teams from all sorts of conferences. We played all over the country if we really wanted to. Specifically, you know, we played a lot in Hawaii, a lot in California, a lot here in Arizona. We went as far... East, I guess, is Texas. I went as far east as Ohio. So you're traveling all over the place for these events. Uh, In addition to that, 
I realize that this is unique to where I went to school, but not every school has a major airport that makes it easy access to get in and out. So for me specifically at the University of Idaho, we had to drive an hour and a half to get to Spokane, the more the, the most major airport, to get us to where we needed to go in the country to compete. So that's an hour and a half of just driving, which wasn't so terrible going to the airport, but it was really awful coming back from the tournament because you're arriving at midnight, not getting back to school until two, three in the morning. Uh, In addition to that, you you have the fact that there was just so much travel, so much competition for, for golf here. We would oftentimes leave on a Saturday Uh, And we wouldn't come back until Wednesday. We'd have Thursday and Friday to be in school. And then you have um, to turn around and do it all over again. So you need to be going to class Thursday and Friday, trying to catch up on all of your assignments, trying to get your laundry done so you can turn around and be ready to go for the very next event. Uh, So certainly this was a lot that's going on. In no way, shape, or form am I complaining about any of this, but I'm just explaining that there has always been a lot of different travel and a lot of different elements involved here. Uh, Golf specifically also had two seasons. We had a fall and we had a spring season. So just with my experience here over 10 years ago, this is how things shook out, if you will. Uh, As I mentioned, though, I'm not naive to the fact that golf was a non-revenue generating sport. There was no money here. So when you specifically take a look at Chip Kelly's comments here, originally I was like, yeah, this seems to make a ton of sense. This this makes sense here to, to make football independent. But how do you really go about doing that? Is there still an allegiance to the school, to the conference, to be able to trickle down the the money that is coming in for the rights that the football media rights are producing. Because how do you go about then splitting all of that money um, if you're all independently 64 teams in your power five, you split the money amongst yourselves, then how does it go back to the school? How does that all get divided up? And, you know... The nature in which NCAA sports is all is is supposed to work, right, is that not everyone is going pro. Not everyone is capable of going pro. Not everyone is capable of taking it to that next level, but you're darn good enough to experience it at the collegiate level. And so when you now factor in how messed up this whole thing is and how money is certainly driving everything for football, and it does really seem like we are moving in a direction where there is going going to eventually be a split off that college football will be doing its own thing. What does that do for the rest of the sports that have made up collegiate athletics? What does it do for the Olympic sports? What does it do for your baseball programs, your golf teams, etc.? There's a lot to factor in here, and I'm just kind of curious to see the direction that it's going to go. In no way, shape, or form do I think that it was the wrong move for ASU and U of A to to hop on board with the Big 12, because if you didn't, you were going to be left behind. So now you have this new situation, and you're going to have to figure out how to make it all work. And obviously there has been a lot about 
the other sports and how much travel they're going to have to endure and how this is all going to take shape. Plus, in addition to that, you have college football playoff expansion, 12 teams. Now who gets involved? How many spots happen in conferences? Money is obviously driving all of this here. And so the landscape in which we know it, whether it's college football, NCAA athletics, it's completely changed. I will say this, though. I don't want to hear anyone complaining about NIL deals. I don't want to hear how there needs to be regulations on everything when conferences are allowed to just do whatever they want to do uh, in best in, in claiming of best interest for their school and for their programs. Athletes are also doing that. So if you want regulations, then it's going to have to be regulated for everyone. It can't just be the institutions get to do whatever they want and the athletes have all sorts of parameters set on them. I also think Chip Kelly said something where it's not going to come down to the schools. It's going to come down to the NIL deals as who has the, the most money. And that's definitely true. As we've seen this, money is the driving factor of all of this change. And here, upcoming in the 2023 season, is going to be the last that we know of college football in the way that we've kind of seen it all unfold for the last 10, 15, 20, 30 years. We'll get into some PGA Tour discussion on the other side of the break. The FedEx Cup Championship is underway. Your caddy, Ray Adams, takes you beyond the 18th hole on Saturday mornings with Great American Golf from 6 to 7 a.m. on KDUS AM 1060. Segment of hour number one on this Thursday, August 10th, right here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com and with the KDOS 1060 app powered by Superbook Sports. Bob Kemp feeling a little under the weather today. Uh, Kayla Mortolaro with you here up until noon. The PGA Tour, the FedEx St. Jude Championship, it's underway. Golf actually this morning was delayed for quite some time due to some thunderstorms. They've had very soft conditions here. There was some rain on Wednesday as well. Uh, and right now there is a large grouping of golfers. Uh, so you have Adam Svensson, who just busted out of this massive tie for first. He is now in first alone, four under par through nine holes. Then you have... Eric Cole, Andrew Putnam, Cameron Young, Bien Hun An, JT Poston, Jordan Spieth, Sunjay M, Corey Connors, and Wyndham Clark all at three under par in a tie for second place. Uh, I just want to highlight here briefly Eric Cole. This this guy busted onto the scene where we started paying attention to him at the Honda Classic, and he has just continued to scratch and claw his way uh, throughout this season, performing really well. It's taken him quite a while to, to make it onto the PGA Tour. He'd been somewhat of a stalwart when it comes to the mini tours, and here he is now in a position. Uh, does he win Rookie of the Year? 
I mean, especially if he goes on to to win a FedEx Cup playoff event, you'd have to definitely think he's going to be winning Rookie of the Year. But uh, just a long way to go. We're only on Thursday. But he's been having a really solid campaign here, and I think that he has done enough to prove to to, to people that he is deserving of a Rookie of the Year honor. Uh, When it comes to uh, some of the bigger names, the odds-on favorites, you have Scotty Scheffler. He's even through four. You have John Rahm. He is one under through four and you have Rory McIlroy who's one over through four holes some of our guys that we're focusing in on here Victor Hovland he's at even par right now Hideki Matsuyama is one under par and then in our head-to-head matchup of Tyrrell Hatton and Xander Shoffley Hatton's one under par Xander is sitting at even par as the uh, FedEx St. Jude championship is underway PGA Tour Commissioner Jay Monahan said this week that he took a month of leave of absence due to anxiety that resulted in mental and physical health concerns, which needed to have medical attention. And he did admit that uh, the anxiety was stemming from everything that transpired with the announcement and the uh, behind the scenes dealing with PIF and Saudi and the player reaction. But there seems to be a growing amount of support for Jay Monahan in his his, his role as PGA Tour Commissioner from several players who have been asked about it this week. Uh, so we still don't know exactly what the future holds. There's still a lot up in the air in regards to how this partnership is going to work. So hopefully uh, here soon we will start to hear how it's all going to unfold and what to expect. No surprise, though, Rory McIlroy and John Rahm are the first two named to Team Europe as those players have been confirmed as they have made the Ryder Cup. Um, We'll have that event here at the end of September in Italy. Should be a lot of fun. Speaking of the Ryder Cup, and I'm going to leave us here with our number one with a question. The Ryder Cup, the World Cup, it got me to thinking, if you had a chance to win it all for your country, what would you want, what would you feel most confident performing to succeed? Would you want a six-footer to win it all? Would you want a penalty kick? Would you want a free throw? His Team USA is gathering as well in basketball. Or would you want to kick an extra point? Six-footer, PK, free throw, or extra point to win it all. All that pressure on you to be a hero. What would you want? I'm sure your answer probably stems from what sport you grew up playing and have the most confidence in, right? Hour number two is coming up on the other side of the break. Giants conversation, Arizona Cardinals training camp from Aaron Decker. It's next. It's next.